Hi friends, welcome to this week's episode of You Can Rest Here. These are the conversations you have always wanted to have, except this time, with a lot of biblical truth, laughter, beautiful and maybe uncomfortable silences, all leading to an increased awareness of the presence of God. Finally, we shall learn a rhythm of rest in a restless world. My name is Mazino Malaka. You can rest here. Hi, my lovely people. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. It's your girl here. And today we have a brand new episode. And it's all things bad behavior, bad decisions. And really, this is just the cry of my heart to say in simpler terms, stop being naughty. <laughs> Let's get it together, <laughs> right? Um, we are still going to obviously laugh and do what we normally do and just maintain this state of peace. And I know it's been a very heavy period for a lot of us living in Nigeria and living outside of. It's been quite tough. So I really want you to take out a moment to breathe. I'm going to run you through a quick breathing exercise and I would love for you to join in with me because this exercise is something that I found to really help in times of anxiety specifically. So every time that we breathe in, we are breathing in the breath of God. The Bible talks about the breath of God giving understanding and the breath of God is what gave life to Adam. So We're going to breathe in the breath of God and then we're going to exhale everything that is not of God. You ready? Okay, so breathe in. We're taking in the breath of God. We're taking in the understanding that comes with the breath of God. And now breathe out. Everything that is toxic to your soul, everything that is toxic to your mind comes out. Everything that God himself has not planted into you comes out with every breath that comes out of you. And just keep doing this for a few more minutes. If you need to, you can pause the podcast here. But my prayer is that as you begin to breathe, there's just a consciousness and awareness of the presence of God, and that you would stop worrying about your life. Stop worrying about your life. Worry adds nothing to your life. And and I know sometimes it's easier said than done, but my prayer for you is that you will put your trust in the Lord. You would put your hope in the Lord. You would stop worrying about your life. You would stop worrying about your future. And you would know that as long as your life is in God's hands, he can be trusted. I pray that the Holy Spirit would also in turn soften and prepare your heart for what you're about to hear. May this word from the Lord transform you and bring understanding to your design and to your ability to live well and happy. In Jesus' name, amen. Bad behavior, bad decisions. Today we are talking about sin. Call it what you want. You know, no one likes this word. We've downplayed it so much that people now see sin as just something they did wrong or just a little slap on the wrist. You know, we've been able to, for our own human conscience, (laughs) downplay sin so much that we even laugh about it. Like we have videos on 
different social media platforms where people literally just post things and post themselves as Christians living in simple patterns and then we all laugh and we're like oh this is so funny but it's not it's not funny to god it's not funny to our souls and it definitely is not funny to our calling as believers right and now this message is for you who has decided that you want to walk with god scripture tells us that who begins to build a house without counting the cost a consecrated life is a costly life you will never be able to truly call yourself a child of god unless you understand that this life you are embarking on will cost you your comforts it will cost you your reputation a lot of the time because you will be going against the works of this world and it will also cost you your desires I truly believe that for us to enjoy the rest of God we must live repentant lives. Restlessness can be seen in patterns of unrepentant, undetected and sometimes ignored sins in our lives that steal our joy and our peace. No one likes to admit it, but sometimes life doesn't suck because of the devil. Sometimes life doesn't suck because of the weather on the day sometimes life sucks because of the sin cycles we're stuck in and refuse to let go of and refuse to hand over to god to give us the grace to deal with so let's enter into the rest that righteousness brings through understanding the unrest that sin issues into our life what is sin let's define it as simply as we can a simple definition for sin sin is what separates us from god it breaks our fellowship with god in the garden in genesis everything was great you know adam and eve were naked loving life eating dancing just having a damn good time until sin was introduced then there was a break in the friendship and intimacy that mankind shared with god sin is separation that's literally it sin reveals a lack of love for god sin also centers on ourselves sin only thinks about honoring one's individual needs above the needs of god and the needs of others I think the most painful thing about sin for a believer is because it gives the enemy the right to obstruct our friendship and love with God. You see the devil isn't just after you. He is after the intimacy that you share with God. Every time that the enemy comes at you, what he's trying to do is to bring you into the lack of relationship that he has with God. The enemy has no relationship with God. He he is completely far from God. And what he wants is to bring more people onto his side. But every time that we say no to sin and we reject the ways of the devil, what we are doing is that we are depopulating darkness and we are increasing the population of the children of light now this won't go into 
what is sin? Is this sinful? Is this not sinful? I think the Bible is incredibly clear about what sin is, what constitutes a sin, right? The sins that Jesus mentioned are still sinful today. Sins don't lose their validity because we live in a modern world and things are changing. And, you know, the Bible just has to evolve with the times that we're in. As a Christian, we must all agree that there is no your truth and my truth. Jesus is my truth. And we must also know the word of God. In law school, we were always taught that ignorance of the law is still the law. It is no defense to the criminal charge for you to say, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that was against the law. You know, I didn't know that punching my neighbor whose cat keeps shrieking in the middle of the night was against the law. It is no defense. You have to do your due diligence to see what grieves God's heart in the word of God. Now we understand sin, let's understand our human nature, our design. In the words of one of the greatest philosophers of all time, and my favorite rapper, I'm a born sinner, but I die better than that. If you know who said this line, send me a DM and I will give you a gift. (laughs) You see, in our human nature, we are susceptible to sin. We are born into a sinful world. Our nature as human beings, this is outside of God now, is that you are evil. (laughs) You are wicked. The moment sin was introduced into the garden, everybody born of that lineage of Adam and Eve is born into sin and born with a corrupt heart. I completely understand our nature, but now it's important to look at the nature of God, right? God is good. God is perfect. And God is holy. So every time God wants to commune with us, that sin divides us from him. It separates us from him. His holy integrity is at stake if sin is not addressed in your life. God is good, but he must move away from sin because it's almost like an allergy. He just, he just is not supposed to be near evil because of how good he is. But God hates it so much, hates sin so much that he sent his only son, who he calls the second Adam, to restore this thing that drove us apart from him and drove us apart from each other. A lot of people go through life and they don't seem to physically see the effect of sin that is not addressed in their life. Or maybe they've chosen to ignore it. Romans 6.23 actually tells us this, that the wages of sin is death. But we often think, God, I don't seem to be physically deteriorating. How is sin causing me to die? You might not notice that you're dying, but every time that you sin, every time that I sin, something dies inside of me because I am grieving the Holy Spirit within me. This could be something as simple as the sin 
causing a loss of confidence or a loss of joy. Something is dying. Sin and death go together. Death occurs because separation has happened. I'm going to give you examples of how sin actually causes death. I don't know anybody who has entertained sexual immorality, watched pornography, got angry at someone and shouted at someone they love, and then feels good after. I definitely never did. The feeling of being disconnected from God is painful to our souls because what then happens is that when sin is entertained, our passion for God dies. Our relationship with God then experiences this yo-yo that is unnecessary. Sin also has the ability to steal your joy and it causes you to miss the will of God. When you know you are out of alignment with the will of God over your life, what happens? Anxiety, stress, and overwhelm. Sin also makes you isolate yourself and live in secrecy. Whenever you are entertaining something that you know and your soul knows is bad, you will isolate yourself from the people you love and you will also isolate yourself from God. You see, the effects of sin you may not see immediately, but over time, you'll begin to see how it is rotting the purity of your heart. Things like paranoia will begin to develop in your mind. You know, you'll begin to demonstrate traits that ordinarily you never used to feel. Insecurities will begin to arise because the enemy now has permission into your life. That's why the Bible says, do not give the enemy a foothold in your life. Don't give him anything for him to now have access to play around in your mind. The more you participate in sin, the more numb your spiritual senses of right and wrong will be. You'll begin to call sin good and that which is of God bad. Your moral compass no longer will work because sin just feeds your feelings, right? And where has trusting our feelings ever gotten us as a society? Little by little, unrepentant sin here and unrepentant sin there will leave you sick. It will leave you desensitized to the things of God. So many of you have lost interest in God and you blame God for being far away and you ask questions like, God, where are you? I can't feel your presence anymore. But actually, God cannot be near sin, right? And if that sin goes unrepentant, the things of God will no longer become of interest to you. And you will no longer be able to feel the presence of God because the presence of God cannot dwell in darkness. It can only be in light. Whenever you feel God far away, it's important to really let the Holy Spirit check your heart. Let him find if there is any way in you, anything you are practicing 
that is obstructing the relationship you have with God. And it doesn't matter how small that sin is. Sin is equal before the Lord. Any sin, no matter how small, is capable of separating you from God. So we need to know what that sin is and we need to defeat it once and for all. What I'm describing here, I'm sure, sounds like a battle. And the truth is there is a battle that we have on this earth with sin. Romans 7, 21 to 25 says, this is Paul speaking. He says that I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin. That is the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? But thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. What we can understand from here is, you know, this is the mighty apostle Paul writing, someone who wrote over half of the New Testament. This battle with sin is not a lack of willpower. And one thing I want to make known to everybody, I say this to myself, is that you are not as strong as you think. If you think you are standing firm, be careful lest you fall. In your flesh, you are no match for the devil. In your humanity, you are no match for the devil. But Jesus is your cutting edge. He is the one who shows us that he who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. When Jesus defeated the devil... He did it for me and he did it for you to show us that whatever we face, whatever temptation pierces our souls, we will overcome. We have overcome. You need to stop overestimating your human ability to resist temptation. Stop thinking you can. It is very, very hard. It is very, very difficult to resist <laughs> You see, even the law itself could not help us defeat sin. The law couldn't deal with the flesh. So Jesus, the son of God, had to con condemn sin in his own flesh, right? The law could not defeat sin. It could only detect sin. Only Jesus was found worthy of defeating sin. The law will always be weak because the law only speaks to our flesh. It comes to fleshly men and speaks to them as fleshly men. But the work of the spirit transforms us by the crucifixion of our old man and imparts into us a new man. And now because of Christ, how we are able to overcome this battle of sin is that we know now that we do not work according to the flesh and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live in the spirit. So now we've addressed sin, what it is and what it does to our soul. How do you turn back from sin? How do you return 
back to that relationship with God, repentance is the only way. I often say that repentance leads to rest. Unrepentant sin begins to chip at your identity and chip at the relationship you have with God. But I want to tell us what repentance is and what it isn't. Because repentance has the ability to restore, but only true repentance will restore you back to where God needs you to be. 2 Corinthians 7.10 talks about godly sorrow. It says that godly sorrow produces repentance. It leads to repentance. So now what is godly sorrow? Godly sorrow is not you rolling on the floor and tearing your clothes and, you know, fasting for hours and saying to God, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to do this and expecting God to just get over it. Godly sorrow is you acknowledging that you truly have hurt God. Godly sorrow does not need theatrics and acrobatics to exist. Godly sorrow needs your heart to know that you have done something wrong. Repentance is not telling a friend or talking about how bad you feel. No matter how pure all these things are, repentance requires action. This repentance and the action that is required from it is what the Bible calls the fruit of repentance. You cannot tell me you love me without showing me you love me, right? If every time I just go to the Lord and I scream, I repent, God forgive me, without doing anything to contradict the old life that I was living, then we have a problem. In Acts 3, 19 to 20, it says, Now repent of your sins. And turn to God so that your sins might be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come back from the presence of the Lord. And he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. This idea that like the moment you repent, there's just an outburst of rain from heaven to refresh your soul is the most beautiful thing ever. Sometimes why we feel so dry is because of the lack of repentance in our lives. This kind of sorrow that God wants is the kind of sorrow that before you sin again, will you will be reminded of the pain that it causes the one you love every time that you embark on something sinful. The Bible says that the worldly version of sorrow lacks repentance and results in spiritual death. But godly sorrow leads to repentance and it restores our intimacy with God. A lot of the time we talk about sin, we don't talk about what even leads to sin in the first place. I've learned so much in my life to not be too focused on sin, but to focus on my desire and my appetite. You see, your new life will cost you your old one. Your freedom will cost you your chains. So what I always ask myself is, what are the chains? What are those things that I am susceptible to? And now we're talking 
checking your desires and your comforts. James 1.15 says, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Temptation comes from our own desires. The enemy cannot tempt you with something you do not desire. For example, if the devil brings a steak to me and, you know, is like, don't you want it and puts this steak in my face, I haven't eaten red meat in like six years. This is the last thing that would entice me. But now, (laughs) if the devil brings 20 bags of Cheetos or some Snickers, I may consider. Why? Because that temptation is valid. Because eating Cheetos and Snickers is a desire in my heart. Sin doesn't come from a love of evil. Sin actually is birth out of a love for comfort which then leads to evil. It's birthed out of a, a, a love for our own fleshly desires, which then leads to evil. What I desperately want for us as believers is that we would become self-aware of where the doors of the enemy can come from. We have to acknowledge where we are vulnerable and susceptible to sin. Check your comforts and your hunger. Check your appetite. When you're struggling to control your mind, control your comfort, control your appetite. So if I know that a way the enemy likes to trip me up into temptation is to cause me to binge watch things, then I'm sorry that Netflix account has to go. You have to watch who you choose to be around, right? All these booty calls, pardon my French, you know, replying that hello big big head text message. You must know that these are secret desires that are in your heart for comfort. You want to be comforted and loved by a person. And sometimes you will feed on other things because of that secret desire in your heart that you haven't presented to God, right? If it's an insecurity issue, you you have to check that insecurity at the door or else it will manifest into you doing things for attention, posting things online for attention, or lying for attention. You see, these cravings, the moment you surrender them to God, right, at a root level, because I feel like as Christians, we only like to deal with the symptoms that we see, but we never want to deal with the root issues, right? The cravings will feel like you can't run run from it at the start. But like every day I crave cheesecake or chocolate, the more I starve that craving, the more I throw out all the sweet things in in my closet, the more the desire will go. So don't feed the craving. Don't feed the temptation or else it will manifest into a sin. One thing I know the devil loves is that he will fill in the gaps of our lives and provide us comforts that are outside of the will of God. So now that I have you thinking about your comforts and the desires in your heart, what can you think of that has to go for you to be able to rest in righteousness? 
what can remain. So this is an addition and subtraction thing. If, for example, you're hanging around with people who lead you to places where you shouldn't be, you have to subtract that. And then what you need to ask God for, or even you probably even have them, is godly friends who will help you uphold the right standards in your life. Add takeaway, or rather takeaway, and then add something. Figure out what can remain for you to walk in righteousness and what must be taken away. There's a term in scripture called walking in the light, right? And when it comes to understanding ourselves, for you to understand yourself, you must walk in the light of God. When I think of this, I picture God meeting us in a dark cave saying, you know, come out of hiding, my love, you are safe. And then he drags us from this darkness into the light. He pulls us from this darkness into light. The light, as beautiful as it is, as wonderful as walking in the light is, it is incredibly exposing. Everything you're trying to hide will be seen when you are walking in the light. But that same light that is so painful to be in also beautifies and purifies you. You see, this light is not a light of shame, but a light of restoration and repair. This light is a light of love. In 1 John 17, it says that if we walk in light as God is in light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So whenever we walk in the light, we are being cleansed from sin. If you choose to not walk in the light, then darkness has the ability to overtake your mind and your soul. It also tells us that walking in the light is what enables us to have fellowship with one another. This is something that people don't talk about when it comes to sin. Sin not only affects your relationship with God, but it also affects your relationship with people, the people that you love. Adam and Eve's relationship, not just with God, but with each other was ruined because now they were aware of their nakedness, whereas before they lived in such innocence and purity. It disrupted the love that man and woman were supposed to enjoy together. Sin will isolate you from people. You will lose fellowship with those you love. It's like people who struggle with an addiction to pornography. You begin to lose fellowship with your spouse or even just with normal people because You begin to sexualize everyone that you encounter because of the effects of that sin. And even in a marital context, you can't even enjoy sex because of what pornography does to the mind. It sickens the purity of a beautiful thing that God has designed. It makes you dehumanize people around you and only see them as sexual objects. If you are overcome with greed and gluttony, you lose fellowship with people because you don't know how to give. You learn to withhold everything that you have and selflessness is now not in your nature. As a pastor, I say to my team 
all the time that they must walk in light. If they don't walk in light, anything that they think is going to be in private, they will leak onto everybody else. Numbers 32, 23 says, but if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord and you may be sure that sin will be found out. Sin is never private. The enemy makes us think that just because we privately entertain sin, our sin will always remain private. First of all, the Holy Spirit himself sees everything that we do. As gory as it sounds, every time that you fornicate, you are forcing the Holy Spirit who lives on the insides of you to witness something that is against the will of God. And by fornication for, you know, people who don't know what that means, I mean shacking up with someone who is not your husband or wife, right? It affects you and the people around you. It gives shame to your relationships, Even if no one knows it, know that no sin is private. It always has repercussions that are costly. The other day, I told a friend of mine, and that's why the confession table is so important. I said to her that I've been dealing with comparison. The moment I spoke it out, the moment I was able to even repent before this person, that comparison is definitely not of God. Why am I comparing myself to other people? I felt so free. Confession is important, right? So every time that you think that sin is secret, it's not. Confess it to God. And when you find trusted people who love you, confess it to them as well. Now, you know I'm a practical girly. So we are going to look at practical steps in facing temptation. What I want us to understand is that temptation in itself is not the sin. The manifestation of that temptation into an action is where sin comes into play. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every single way, yet he did not sin. Mark 4 illustrates the painful temptation of Christ. Sometimes I ask Jesus in the face of any temptation that I'm facing, what did you see that stopped you from falling? And now what I want us to look at is the the spirit of Jesus, the spirit that Jesus carried, right? It's not just important to pray for the spirit of Jesus, but it is also important to look at the life of Jesus and wonder what he did and what we can learn from what he did and implement into our own lives. So I'm going to read a few things that will help us things that helped Jesus in his humanity and will also be of benefit to us. The first thing Jesus always did is that he acknowledged that spending time with God, his father, was not negotiable. You become whatever you behold. Jesus also spent time in the scripture. The word of God is your power over sin. You have no power over sin if the word of God is not in you. And what is killing us as a generation of believers is biblical illiteracy. Some of us know so many things about foreign policy and about um, governance and about our businesses, but we don't know the word of God. But the word of God is what will help you fight when the enemy comes to tempt you. Another thing I love about Jesus is that Jesus wasn't everywhere all the time. He was only where he needed to be. 
Some of us just like to be everywhere. You know, (laughs) you don't have to be everywhere. You should only be where God needs you to be. Jesus always maintained a good prayer life. He said to the disciples, keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So then what strengthens the spirit? We could ask. Prayer is what strengthens the spirit. Keeping watch, staying in the presence of God is what strengthens the spirit because our bodies in and of themselves are weak. Jesus also spent a lot of time in the temple. He was surrounded by other people in the faith. He was never just alone to the enemy's lies and deception. He was consumed with zeal for the presence of God and for his father's house. One of my favorite things about Jesus is that he had boundaries with people and places. Jesus did not play with fire. He didn't go where sin was easy. You know, an example of this is when God asked me to stop going clubbing about like five years ago, right? Especially as someone who loves loud music and I love dancing for hours, everyone around me was like, it's not that deep, Maz, you know? I I was a regular club goer on the weekends, right? But... I no longer could go there because sin is easy in that environment where all the music is gratifying the flesh and is incredibly misogynistic. It's no shock that people leave the club and end up sleeping with someone who doesn't even know their first or last name. The atmosphere in that place is not conducive for the presence of God. I do not like to fight temptations that I could have avoided. Jesus is worth five hours that I get from dancing, you know, he's worth the time that I get from being in places that I'm not supposed to be, you know, instead of staying there and restraining myself, I have now chosen to find life outside of those environments. So I have boundaries when it comes to people and places. I don't just talk to any guy that decides to talk to me. I don't just entertain conversations that could be sexual in nature. I have clear boundaries and I stick to them. So help me God. James 3.5 says, In the same way the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. A sign of spiritual maturity is acknowledging the small things and cutting them off before they become the big things. So those boundaries is you saying that, God, even before this thing manifests, right, into a large sin, I'm cutting it off now. One of my favorite things about Jesus is that he knew the cost. He knew what was at risk if he didn't obey and go to the cross. He knew what was at risk if he gave into temptation. So Jesus decided that he was not going to hurt God and he was going to pay the price. And oftentimes we talk about these things and we just think, wow, God is stealing all the fun. But I want you to ask God a question. God, can you show me how much fun and joy I can have doing life your way? Can you show me the benefits and the beauty 
of living a godly life? Can you replace the old wicked things in my life with new godly things? You know, don't be idle with your time. It's not just about stopping what you're doing, but it's about introducing spiritual practices into your life. When it came to clubbing, I still dance. I just don't dance in a club. You know, I still love being around people. I don't live an isolated life. I host dinners. I have games nights, you know, but I do it all with an awareness of the presence of God that I do not want to lose by entertaining things that would be costly to my soul. And this is where grace comes in, right? Grace is the ability to live like God intended. And what I pray for us all is that we would receive the grace of God to do exactly what he wants us to do. And we would live joyful lives, lives that are fun and unique and enjoyable. That is my prayer that we would find carrying this cross to not just be painful or boring, but to be beautiful and exciting. So now here are a few things that you can do to break off that pattern. Just a summary of everything we've discussed. Number one is to recognize the sin And not just the symptom, but the root cause of that sin. Secondly, take responsibility. Number three is to confess that sin to God. Number four is to ask God to show you how to live above sin. And to take repentance steps. Make a decision to make better decisions. Let the fruits of repentance be seen in your life. So say you're addicted to pornography and you repent. Now the fruit of repentance would be removing every subscription to every porn website you've signed up to. Or, for example, blocking the word porn on your search tab. So you will never be able to search anything of that sort again. These are all things that you must do to truly demonstrate the repentance that you have spoken with your lips. And then finally is to pray for grace and always stay in the word of God and to pray without ceasing. And know this, if you are in Christ, there is no sin that can overcome you. You know, never try to fight sin by yourself. Stay rooted in community, stay rooted in accountability and know that every temptation that comes your way, you can bear it because of he who works in you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. God doesn't want to condemn you, but he wants to renew you. Your identity will never be based on sin. No matter how much sin you have committed, your identity is rooted in Christ. Life in the spirit is a triumphant life and your security is the love of God. The enemy cannot bring a charge against you because you have been declared not guilty by the highest judge who is Christ. So now in the words of Jesus, go forth and sin no more and receive the grace to overcome every temptation that comes your way. I love you all, and I pray for testimonies from this episode in Jesus' name. Amen.